You're listening to All Things Video, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. If you're a frequent listener, I want to let you know about listener support for All Things Video. I often joke that doing this podcast is my favorite way I lose money every month. There's a lot of time and hard work that goes into producing each episode and hiring a professional editor to make them sound great. It really is a labor of love, so I'm happy to do it, but we'd really appreciate your contributions to help improve future episodes. If you'd like to make a small monthly donation, please visit anchor.fm slash all dash things dash video slash support. And we'll include that link in the show notes. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Rachel David, founder and president of Hashtag Communications. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thanks for traveling all this way in Los Angeles. Man, everything's <laughs> so far away. I'm here from Toronto, and like, I'm just planning things and meetings. It's, it's a hard it's thing. It's crazy. And I was going to say, I only drove 30 minutes. You flew 3,000 miles. Yeah, okay. Well, there we go. So, happy to do it. it <laughs> you are out. welcome. That's right. <laughs> Rachel, I wanted to start off and just kind of talk about how you got your start in digital media. Well, uh, it's a really actually interesting story. Uh, I come from more of a traditional background. I used to be a musical theater kid. That got me into broadcasting. When I was a broadcaster, I interviewed a lot of different musicians, a lot of different actors, because that was the background that I grew up in, be it in high school, and I loved just the arts. Like last night, went to the the Hollywood Improv. I just, I love, I love performance arts. And so um, I ended up getting into broadcasting and I worked in that for about 10 years and it was like a dream. It's like what you could ever imagine. I'm like 21. I get this show in Canada. (laughs) And how did that happen? I mean, you were working for Rogers, one of the biggest Canadian media companies. So that happened because honestly, like I grinded. I, I moved from Vancouver I, I was like volunteering as a kid, like since I was 15, like, like Shaw. And then I went to school for a couple years and studied radio broadcasting. And then, you know, I was just like, I hosted a few other shows in Vancouver. And I was like, by the time I was 18, I was like, I don't know what else I want to do in Vancouver. It looks like it's time to go to Toronto, where Toronto had MTV and like, you know, like the Hills After Show. There was like a bunch. MTV and much music was just thriving in Canada at the time. So I ended up moving out there and no one would give me a job because we had just hit a recession. And so I realized pretty quickly, if you want to make something actually happen, you kind of have to do it yourself. So I ended up linking up with a few friends and we created this, it was essentially a blog, but I was like, hey, we should shoot some videos. It was under a artist management company that had access to a lot of artists. So I was like, hey, if you can just give us like access, I'll do some interviews that will probably do well on YouTube. And we will start this blog called Best Fan. And it was like this media outlet. And next thing we knew is we were getting the same interviews as MTV and Much Music. And there I was like, maybe about, yeah, like 19, 20, just running around the city with my friends with DSLR cameras, making connections with all the different publicists at EMI and Sony and Universal and whatnot. And at the same time, I was working in a restaurant because I wasn't really getting paid. Like this was just volunteering. And I was working in a restaurant. And as I was working in the restaurant, I made sure to email every executive producer of every show I ever wanted to work on. And obviously years go by and you're still grinding and, and building up your reel and building up your experience. And one day at the restaurant, of all things, I hear this girl say, hey, did you hear about this audition for Your World This Week and on Rogers? And I was like, 
oh, I think I actually had emailed the executive producer two, three years, like two years ago. And we had tried to meet for coffee, but it never actually worked. But I knew that he, that email worked. So I emailed him and said, hey, Ken, this is what I've been doing for the last two years. And look at, I had this demo and he responded because I just said, you know, I'd love to audition for you. And he responded and said, ah, yeah, I'm sorry, but we, we've auditioned like 300 girls and uh, we're down to the top 10. So I'm, I'm sorry. And I was just like, no problem. Well, if you have some time, take a look at my stuff. And then I get an email about two hours later and he said, hey, um, I just checked out your stuff. Can you come in tomorrow? <laughs> and I was like, you're joking. And so like, oh my God, I have like shivers thinking about it because it really shows like you just focus and even if it's hard and even if, you know, no one's paying you to do it and, uh, but you love it, keep doing it. And so anyways, I ended up going to the audition and there were 10 beautiful women. Some of them today are YouTube stars. Like it's crazy, like looking at that room and being like, wow. And I remember I went up, it was like my first real like TV audition and said my lines. They all looked around the room. They made me stay back a few more hours. They were waiting for some big wig to come in or something. And then in the end, they were like, he's not coming. So you can go. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I, I left and then I'm walking down the street. And then one of the producers was running after me. He just arrived. He just arrived. Come in, say your lines. So I said my lines one last time. And then basically the next day they said, you've got the job. So that, that really set me on a path for the next about four years of my life. Cause I think I got that job at 21 ish and I was there till about 24 and yeah, I had, it was everything you could have imagined. It was like, then I got really into, because I knew the music world, I started to understand the TV world. So it was, who are the publicists and managers for the distribution companies, be it like the E1s and, and Warner Brothers or whatever. And also who are the production companies? Like it was the perfect job to build my network. And I was so young. And then on top of that, I had a clothing allowance and a makeup artist. It was just a dream. Do I want it today? No. And I'll get to that later. But did I like it then? Yes. So it was like the perfect job when I was younger. So you're the host and you're producing this, yeah. uh, your world this week on Rogers. Yeah. Interviewing musicians, interviewing eventually TV celebrities yep. as well. Yep. What prompted you to to leave the show and then ultimately become a YouTube creator of your, of your own and then also launch the hashtag communications uh, <laughs> influencer agency? Well, uh, I actually didn't leave because I wanted to leave. I really left because they let me go. It's a, it's a pretty big part of my journey and my story because if you ever like, you know, you, you go on my Instagram, which you're welcome to go see me cry on Instagram. There's a video out there, just my name, Rachel, last name's David. If you want to go check that out, there's a little video that I posted uh, when I did go through that layoff. And I think that it was extremely difficult because you're so young, you're on TV. There's like 20,000 people who work for the company. They all have to be notified. I was so public so people noticed if you weren't at your job and to deal with that at like 24 when you feel like on top of the world and now they're like now go to the unemployment insurance like like go try to figure out how to get a job and you're talking to people about career development that they set you up with after you get let go and then on top of that I went through a breakup as well that same week and he was also public because he was in the WWE and he was on a reality show on the e-network and I was on that and it was all together, I think, the lowest low I've ever felt. Like, I was in a dark hole for about, I would say, at least six months. And really, I turned to YouTube because 
a couple people came into my life that were YouTubers and or worked in that world. And uh, they said, Rachel, you're not because I was looking. I was like, OK, I have to go get a job. Right. And uh, and I, I'm pretty extreme in the way that when I got let go, I like my brain didn't think that I had anything, even though I'd saved my money. I was just like, no, I need to live off of cheese and bread. Like, <laughs> what am I going to do? And uh, they're like, Rachel, don't go get a job. Like, I swear to God, like in Canada, like they they are gracious enough to give you unemployment insurance where they kind of give you a little bit of money as you're looking for a job. So they were like, take your time and try to find something that you really want to do. And. I did, and uh, it, the long story short is it took me about six months to make back my salary. I started posting videos on YouTube. I used to, I was starting to invite all the people that, you know, I used to interview to my place to just, honestly, it was drinking tequila. I called it happy drink at the time in these happy mugs, and I would come up with a game that was tailored to their personality. So I was doing a lot of research on, like, who these, like, YouTubers and athletes and, and these people are, and it was wonderful. It was like, hey... You know, like Patrick Patterson, he used to play for the Raptors. Like, come, let's like lip sing our favorite R&B songs. You're such a great lip singer on Snapchat. Or like, you know, I remember getting Carl Wolf. He sings this like Africa song. I'd be like, let's dress up in tiger outfits and reenact your song. And like, stupid. Like Jonathan Torrance from Trailer Park Boys. Like, like there were so many people coming through my door and we just had a blast. It was the best. It was the best year. I swear to God. And, uh. I took, because I gave myself that year, I learned so much about digital. It was like, I was posting three videos a week. Like I was vlogging twice a week and I was doing like a collab, right? So, and it was crazy because I had all these connections already with all these gatekeepers. So it's like Troy Sivan is signed to Universal. Universal wants to have now somebody interview them. There's not many outlets in Canada. Rachel, you have a YouTube channel. Can you, that's kind of an interview. Can you go interview them, in interview him? So I, I actually started just getting all these really big people on my little YouTube channel. And, uh, and that was really, it's, it, it's crazy. Like, and, that, and so one day I got a phone call from my friend who worked at CBC, the broadcaster in Canada, which I was told to sign with CBC. They just had a partnership with Fullscreen at the time. And one of my very smart friends was like, Rachel, CBC is a crown company. You have to understand MCNs, they look for a return on their investment. CBC doesn't because they're mandated by the government to invest their resources in digital creators, Canadian creators. So you should sign with them. And now they just partner with full screen. So you're going to have all like, you know, the dashboards and what, all that stuff. So I signed to full screen and that was about six months in after starting my YouTube channel, uh, full screen and CBC and CBC called me and they were like, Rachel, we've got some fiscal budget left. We understand that you have worked in broadcasting, so you'll know what to do with it. Can you bang out a show in a couple weeks? They literally paid me my salary in two weeks to develop a show, write, host, produce, do everything. And that really allowed me to then save that money and breathe and, um, and then start this company because I started getting calls from all these friends that I had that worked at agencies and, and they started seeing, oh, Rachel, why do you have all these people on your couch? How did you get, you know, just rain to just sit with you? What do you, how do you know all these people? You know, we need to get a hold of them for a campaign. And I was like, what? You don't know them? What? You don't know what to do with them? What? You don't like, if you understand them as people, you can create better campaigns because you know how to do something kind of exceptional. Wow, that's amazing. So I have a lot of questions. Yeah. First of all, tell me a little bit more about the show that you did with the CBC. It was called The Struggle is Real. And I basically just complained about things that I hate about being a woman that I find really annoying. It's like, there's so many bizarre things that we do. Like, what the hell is a thong? You know, why do we do that? You know? So I just kind of 
be it fake nails, I think it was like hair straighteners, like just kind of really analyzing the ideas and like kind of the bizarre things women do that like really don't make that much sense. And uh, and yeah, I I just I guess I was that's what I was feeling at the time. And yeah, and how did it yeah. do? Um, I think it could have done better, to be honest. I'm always like a very big realist. I thought it, it was okay. Like, it was a good exercise. Um, they were happy with it, but you know, I didn't post it on my channel. It was on their channel, and um, yeah. But like, I think that as far as like overall, when I look at it, I'm like, yeah, it was really positive. Like, did it blow up and go crazy? No. But like, was it a really? Do, am I proud of it? And did I have a good time doing it? And are they happy? Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I. Call that a win. That's you great. Know? So yeah. you found your way into this creator community, which yeah. was very welcoming and kind of gave you the 100%. push you needed to say, I can be a digital creator. I can embrace this industry and, and choose or build a life for myself that I want rather than having to go get a nine to five job where, you know, maybe you'll find fulfillment or maybe that's not quite the right fit for you. Mm -hmm. How would you characterize the creator community in Canada? What is it like and how does it differ from the, the U.S. ecosystem? Yeah, it's changed over the last three, four years. I remember when I first got into it, it seemed like every YouTuber was there. Like, Lily still lived there. I think Lord DIY was still there. There were so many really big creators. Like, I was uh, spending so much time with Matt Santoro, and the four y'all guys were just popping off. Just Rain, Epic Meal Time. There was all these Canadian creators all around. Um, and then people kind of started moving. And it, most of them landed here in LA. A lot of them came to Los Angeles. Yeah. But then again, there's still uh, quite a few that are out there, like Harley from Epic Mealtime just moved to another place out there. Now when we're looking at, at the shift in influencer marketing and how a lot more brands are going more Canadian, like they're going for more micro-influencers, these micro-influencers, like say that they've got even like 25,000 followers, something like that on Instagram. It's more likely they're going to have a bigger audience in Toronto, Vancouver, like can, the Canadian places. So for Canada's kind of on its own weird little island, you know. So working in influence marketing in Canada, it's it's a bit different. Like they're not necessarily like, oh, we need the big influencer in America. No, they're like, oh, no, we'd like to have a, quite a few smaller creators in Canada to spread the message. Like they'd rather probably get like 25 of them and really put that message out and have them kind of in overlapping circles. And so it's just kind of a different strategy, I think, out there. Because, you know, if it's, I don't know, say McDonald's, if there's McDonald's Canada. It's not McDonald's in the U.S. that we're necessarily promoting. So there's definitely like a really big creator community. I just wouldn't say they're like necessarily the biggest stars. And I think that LA has a lot more of that like star and clout and all that stuff, you know. Um, but I also kind of like that. I think Canada's really charming and people are, it's just like a playground. Toronto is amazing. Like, especially after this Raptors win. Oh my God, everyone's just on a high. Everyone's just high-fiving each other. Like, it's a good vibe. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, and, and it seems like, you know, maybe that's a natural response that local advertisers are saying, you know, let's turn to micro-influencers because at a certain point, the larger a creator gets that, that might be Canadian, they're going to start developing more audience in the U.S., in the U.K., Western Europe, English-speaking territories, right? Because of the finite population size of Canada, there's yep. just a lot of larger international opportunity for them in English-speaking markets. Yeah, and even like, I mean, I found an advantage for me because I do actually work with quite a few American brands. They just have like a Canadian, they're like, we just need to have Canada covered, Rachel. And I'm like, okay, well, the good thing is, is that I can charge you in Canadian and Canadian creators, because the dollar's cheaper, it is actually a lot cheaper to actually utilize a Canadian creator in some some instances. And also for me, I, if I put my, like my businesswoman hat on, I'm like, well, you know, 
rent, office space, staff, like that is cheaper than being in the US. And I can still like, at Hashtag, we work with companies in Asia and Europe. So it's like, I could kind of be wherever at this point because Hashtag Communications, I think the interesting thing about influencer marketing is that there's so many different now um, elements to it. You know, there's the software side, there's the management side, like the talent managers. And and for me, I'm a consultant, right? So I consult the brands. So I work unbiased for the brands because obviously coming from a world where I was signed as a creator, I did feel like there was a little bit of a bias approach when a brand would go to say an MCN and say, hey, we want to work with you and spend our money with you. And they're like, of course, they're going to go to their creators if mm -hmm. they manage them and go to them first. But I'm like, well, what if like that's not the right person? What if there's other people out there that I think that would actually be a better fit? So it's kind of a nice place to be because I feel like I'm just Mrs. Claus every day. Like I'm like friends with all the different talent managers and agents and creators. And all I do is I call them. I'm like, I got money for you. And they're like, great. You know, like it's, I'm living my best life. Amazing. <laughs> and what, what advice do you give to brands that, you know, are just getting into influencer marketing for the first time? They don't really know that much about the space. What do you suggest to them to get started? Uh, I would probably just try to hit up some influencers themselves to get started and kind of go through the process. So they sort of know either, Oh, this is kind of the, how it works. Um, or this is how it doesn't work. And Oh my God, this person's not getting back to us. Or why is it so complicated? I didn't know we have to have this clause in the legal. There's a lot more that goes into a deal than it seems. It's not just like calling the person up being like, can you post about this? Because there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong. What are some of the mistakes that you see? Oh, there's like weird things that happen. Like, uh, I remember I had a deal with a, with a bank. It was something to do with music. And then they wanted uh, these art, these YouTubers to do a cover of this, but it was also geo-targeted. And so it could only play in Canada because they only had the rights for Canada. But what they don't really understand is like, uh, well, the if they do that algorithmically, then say, you know, I'm a YouTuber in Canada, I'm getting like a million views every video, but because now this is geo-gated, I'm going to get like 100,000 views on this video. Next time I post a video, I'm going to actually not have as many of my subscribers see this video because I'm going to be, it's going to tell the algorithm, oh, not as many people want to look at this. So there's kind of little things that you, you do have to consider and look at things from different angles that you'd be like, what? Like even ad spend, how much are you putting ad spend behind? You have to talk about that before. Like that is going to determine how much an influencer is going to charge. As you know, it seems like basic for us, but if I was just getting into it, I wouldn't necessarily think about it. I'd be like, oh yeah, like, can you post about this? And then I would just put like a thousand bucks behind it. And then I'd be like, oh, but like, I probably should have told them before. Like the influencer will get pissed, especially if it's only targeting a small area that they're super influential in and then all those people are seeing that they're promoting it. Then that turns into more of an advertisement instead of editorial, so. Um, so you yeah. help the brand navigate those conversations with the influencer 100%. and say, hey, you know, if there's a paid media strategy, this is how this we should how go we about should it. it. Make sure everyone kind of understands the expectations and the approach. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Have you always considered yourself an entrepreneur? I mean, I hear in your story this through line of the scrappy teenager, you know, <laughs> working on projects in school, and then after graduation, you decide to make the move, and, you know, you start this Best Fan TV program mm -hmm. with some friends, which helps you get the job at Rogers, and then ultimately become a creator and launch your own agency. Have you always thought of yourself in that way, or did it just naturally develop? I mean, if you asked me today, I'd be like, oh, Rachel, you are through and through an entrepreneur. I don't think I realized that until probably like two, maybe, yeah, maybe a couple of years ago. But I think it's just how I really look at life. And now that I'm reading more about business, because I didn't go to school for like a business. I just sort of have 
been like, oh, you know, don't spend more than you make. Great. Awesome. <laughs> Call it a day. But uh, it's, it's interesting when little things go wrong. I'm very adaptable. But looking back at now, like my upbringing and how I was raised, it makes a thousand percent sense. I grew up in a, in a house in White Rock, BC, small town, Pleasantville. My parents are both artists, super resourceful. Every room in the house that I grew up in was like a, a different art room. It was like a glass bead room where my dad would have his torch out and be like making glass beads. And then the other room is a porcelain room. And mom was loving to cook and dad loves to garden. He would grow the groceries in the garden and then mom would cook it and then they'd compost it. And it, it was just like, and then they'd be like, oh, we need to make extra money. Well, let's go to the garage sales around the, the, the town. And then because we're selling our art on eBay and eBay is just crushing it, like they, they became power sellers on eBay. Then they just start going to garage sales and like Value Village and stuff and would just start getting these Hermes scarves and stuff because the town I grew up in was like an affluent area and it was a retirement area so all these people honestly they perish and then all their stuff just goes to these thrift stores but they were gold mines like I'm like why are these Versace like glasses here like I love it it's one of my favorite things to do even now like when I go back my sister and I we go to the thrift stores in White Rock and we're like damn like nobody knows about this in Toronto very different story but my uh, my parents did that and I think just watching them be like oh we can not only like create the life that we want and they were home all the time and they were great parents they also taught me that you don't have to make a lot to be happy so you grew up in kind of this idyllic childhood and were you and your sister or any of your other siblings do you have other siblings just yeah you? I do I yeah. have a little sister named okay. Abby she's not that little anymore she hates it when I say that <laughs> uh she's like 25 and uh she she's wonderful and I also have a half brother named Byron and he's also superb like I, I couldn't be luckier to have them my sister actually lived with me for the past year and she puts out content that she has uh, type 1 diabetes and she also is a vegan and it's really helped her manage her type 1 diabetes so she has a lot of purpose behind the content that she makes and she has a really engaged audience and now she is on a I think it was like five six month trip in Europe which is a, a huge feet to take on because she has to basically take around another luggage just with her medication like if she doesn't have her medication that's really that's really tough so if any of you are listening and you would like to even check that out her name is abby j david on instagram amazing so you both turned into creators yeah and my brother's on twitch wow so, so he, you're all very he had a secret life oh my god it was yeah. so funny finding out about my brother's secret life because one day he's just like yeah he sends me a, a link or something and i was like what is this like he works at a bank i'm like what is who are you what is going on and if you met byron you'd be like maybe he's like a little bit shyer well, compared to me, because I'm a chatty Cathy over here. Yeah, Byron Byron once sent me a link, and I remember being in Alberta on, like, a gig, and uh, and I was like, what is this? I'm sitting in the hotel room, and I immediately was just like, oh, this is amazing. Here's Byron with his audience on Twitch. He's streaming every night. I don't even know this. He's older than me, uh, four years older. I, I sent him, like, $100 immediately and just wanted to see his reaction, and then, like, shine bright like a diamond came on. He's just like, oh, Rachel, you should have done that. That's not why I sent you this link. It was, like, it was so cute. So, yeah, I actually do have quite a, a little performer family. Wow. And you started a podcast called Raking It In, in which you interview influencers and talk to them about monetization. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more 
about what motivated that effort and, and how you've been working with influencers recently. Well, I actually have kind of put a pause on that over the last, I want to say like eight months, six to eight months. It's still on there. If you want to go on iTunes, breaking it in with Rachel David, it's there. And I think that the information is still super relevant. Like, you know, there's so many interesting conversations that these influencers have where it's like, they say, you know, my channel, it's dead. It literally is dead. It got struck by lightning. And then we really get and dig into how and why did that happen? So they're conversations that I was just fascinated by. I also thought it was just really interesting with being friends and, and being kind of, like I said, like the little Mrs. Claus giving them money. It's like not every YouTuber or influencer. And I think there's just misconception. They all have like pet monkeys and drive around in Lambos, but it's like not the case, right? So uh, I think it was just some are able to really monetize well. There are a lot of opportunities if they just start doing things a little different. And it's interesting talking to the ones that do and the ones that don't, you know, just little, all these things, you know, even now, like you, you think about it today, the ones that are putting more ad breaks in their videos, it's just like they are making four times as much as they used to. So uh, I think it's just an important conversation to have and and it I've goes beyond advertising right every influencer now has merchandise many of 100%. them are turning into live events many are Courses, looking at direct the, to yeah. fan yeah monetization yep. methods like that patreons mm -hmm. yeah there's so many different things and so it sounds strange but like making money and being able to also build a life and providing myself with a sense of stability has really helped me focus and that was sort of my hope that i could talk about this stuff and for anybody who maybe also wanted to go after their dreams, but also was scared, maybe had to create a business plan before. It's like, you can do all of this and it can be your job. And I, I just hate the idea of anybody working a job that they don't love. So yeah, it was, it was a, a great time. The problem was, is doing a podcast, as you know, is quite difficult, you know, and I don't think, and I was videotaping it as well. So so the production around it, okay, now you have to book a, a influencer who like, you know, they're, it's not they're only, busy, they're, they're, they're busy, yep. you know, and everybody's trying to get a hold of them. So it's like, you have to, you have to book the influencer. You then have to allocate over an hour of your day. Then we're filming and I'm doing a double camera angle because I'm like overachiever over here. So then now we're filming it. So then I have an editor editing an hour long podcast and I thought this would be so easy. And then they're sending me these edits and then obviously every edit because it's like the pyramid strategy of like you'd have one long form piece of content and you break that down into different kind of formats for different platforms. So then here I have the editor building me out all these different clips for different platforms and it was just like I was spending hours just going through all of that and I was like this I can't keep up with this. Like, I, it, and I was told by one of my mentors years ago that it was going to be hard to do both the content side and run a business. Uh, and I didn't believe him, but a hundred percent it's hard. Yeah. So I, I tried to figure out lately, I would say in the last three months, I was like, what can I do? Cause I still want to make content. I believe that we're living in the greatest time ever. The fact that we can actually put out stuff and get free eyeballs, like free attention, what? That is not going to be happening for long. So I just took a step back. I was reading this book. My sister gave me this book for uh, Christmas. Well, I do Chrismica, but like, <laughs> who's, who's counting? Um, it's called You Are a Message. And essentially it has all these passages and it's all about like, it's just like you, you flip the page and it's, a, it's something kind of thought provoking. And, um, and I just started thinking about like what I want to put out in the world. And I, I was going to a few workshops and I heard uh, this, this saying that there's like, look at me content and learn from me content. And I was finding that I was starting to just go down this like, look at me content, you know, cause it was so easy to put a pretty picture on with nice lighting 
and a cute outfit and it would just do so well on Instagram compared to like if like anything else and like you know you just standing with your friend you know so I was starting to feel like empty though posting that kind of stuff and and so then I really went hard on being like Rachel what do you really want to put out there and I just was like, you know, I'm going to sit down, talk in front of the camera. I know people's attention spans are really short, but if I could like either read them, it's like how this passage, I gave them that book the time because it was short and sweet. So, and it, and it added value to my life. It was like high, high value, high impact, but short. And I was like, I think that I could do that in like content form. So why don't I just like sit down and if it's telling a story once in a while, and if I want to ramble, I can, but like for the most part, I just was like, how do you just give someone a tip or give somebody just something that's going to help them? I think there's a lot of young people. I heard the freelance com community. It's like, how high is it? It was almost 50% of jobs of like millennials in the States or something is like freelancers now. So it's like, okay, well, that means that there's a lot of very insecure, unsure people because that is not an easy thing to be. I want people to feel like they just got a hug. That's my whole goal. So I talk on LinkedIn. I've been posting on LinkedIn. And then the last three months, about five of my videos have gotten over a quarter million to half a million views. And I would say on average, now they're getting like, yeah, maybe like 10,000 views. And it's kind of crazy because I'm attracting these fantastic people in my life. So you've turned to LinkedIn primarily and YouTube, of course. And YouTube why kind of actually. Like YouTube oh, doesn't show my stuff anymore. Because really? I changed my content from challenges and stuff years ago to then the podcast to now business. It's just like, there's nobody there. You know, like sure. we're, I need to start a new channel. And so... Why choose LinkedIn and why, you know, do you consider Facebook, Instagram, you know, obviously YouTube has not been as much of a fit for the new type of content you're creating. How do you identify that when thinking about your content strategy? Well, I didn't choose LinkedIn. It chose me. <laughs> no, honestly, I think for anybody listening that has tried really hard, really hard and was consistent, you know, everyone goes, oh, be consistent, put out good content. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, that doesn't always work. <laughs> but I think eventually something hits. It's like, I was posting on so many different platforms and it's not like I got millions of subscribers and followers and all that stuff. No, that being said, I feel like because I kind of stayed in my lane, I've always just posted what I wanted and then I attracted the people. It's like, wouldn't you rather have a small but engaged audience? And that's now leading me to being like, oh wow, I have a small engaged audience. Rachel, you better start an email list because honestly, watching like how I said, my YouTube channel, I think I got like 20,000 subscribers in like the first like six, six months to a year of, of putting out YouTube videos. And some of the videos would do really well, but then it's like now I post and it like doesn't even like, it's like, oh great, I got a thousand views. Like it's crazy what's happened. It will all work out in the end. It's just like finding your platform or it finding you and, and just trying different things. It might be Pinterest. It might be, you never know, but like just trying it, trying Snapchat. Like you just... You, it takes some time. What's coming next? If you had to make three predictions for the future of the digital media space, what would they be? Well, I do, speaking of LinkedIn, I do think that that's going to be a much more prevalent video platform. I mean, even we were talking today, I'm going to go hang out at the full screen office and talk about LinkedIn because they want to talk about brand partnerships on it. And then obviously with LinkedIn Live coming out, they're really, I was, just did um, a few of my friends have the beta. So I've been doing a few of those. So I think that is going to be one platform that's really gonna gonna take off. I think that Instagram stories are gonna, we're gonna start seeing a lot more shows on there. At VidCon, I really enjoyed 
listening to one of the speakers and he works on Instagram and he was kind of talking about how like your stories are your vlogs, but then your IGTV, sorry, I was thinking of IGTV. You're going to see a lot more shows on IGTV because IGTV is like your sitcom, your show, your consistent show that people can go and watch as episodes. So I actually think we're going to see a lot more curated content on IGTV. Long form content, I think is going to, we're going to see more and more of that. I think podcasts, audio, I think that's going to start taking over because everyone wants to multitask. Yeah, I think I think that's I think the podcast that would probably be my third thing, is uh, I've just noticed you know that like I'm listening to like the impulsive pod I'm like searching for podcasts now because I just love like if I'm cleaning something or I'm even going to sleep like I listen to a podcast, it's wonderful. And what does the future hold for hashtag communications? I'm reading a book right now. It's called Company of One, and the slogan is "Why staying small is the next big thing." I think that I'm in a really interesting place where I'm looking at scaling and if that's a, actually what I want to do. Because sometimes when you're really specialized at something, your margins are larger because you don't have that much overhead. You know, you're not paying for an office. You know, instead I just bought a new place that's bigger and that I could just have some of the staff. But it's like my staff were about 10 and it's manageable and I love it and I love them. And it's like the greatest, I'm living, like I don't want to say my best life, but like I just have, I've been mindful of not letting my company and my business run me like I run my business and I I hope I can continue to do that and I think that I'm learning more about automation and how to do automate that um I want to start throwing more more events for people who want to learn and and do workshops and uh, I want to bring more people together and form a beautiful even bigger community around me like I don't know I think at the end of the day like it's all about people for me And I think that if you're really working on things with a good intention, I think that the money kind of just follows. Uh, I just want to kind of get working smarter, not harder. And that's, that's my new, my new goal. So it's actually been wonderful. I've actually figured out how to automate a few sides of the business. We have like a live streamer team. We've got, you know, I'm starting to invest in a lot of different companies uh, on the like angel investing side, just invested in a company called uh, true fan. I really like the founder. I think he's going to be prime minister one day. Swish. He actually is the one that got me into LinkedIn. Uh, I invested in a, a payment processing company where again, it's all about the founder for me called Curex. And now I'm looking to invest in other companies. And you know what, if it doesn't do well, they're my friends. Like I, I believe in them. I believe in their journey. And you know, when you really take it all back, what makes you happy, family, your health and your community. So I've got my health, got my family. Let's just work on that community. If you were starting a business in the digital media space today, what would you do? I'd probably go pretty niche. I think that would be what, what I would do because I'd, I, it would be so easy. You know, you're like, instead of being like, oh, I want a general influencer marketing company, it'd be like, no, I do like pet influence marketing. And then you just know how to like reach out to your customer. Sure. So and you cater to specifically target. to that audience. Yeah. I, I think I would just, I would do that. They say like the riches are in the niches and yeah. I think that we're definitely in that, that space. Are there any particular niche, uh, that you look at or you think are kind of under monetized or underserved at the moment? Mm, no, I'm not like, I, I'm not like looking at anything if I'm being really honest. I mean, cause I'm just thinking of like, wow, all these companies, like the gaming niches and the, and even, you know, be it beauty, and like the comic books, like all of that, like they're pretty well served, you know? If I were you, I would just kind of think of what's like a quirky thing that I like, you know, and and go after that. I remember I was doing a deal with uh, a luxury car brand and this guy only had like 5,000 followers, but because everything he posted was about luxury cars, 
he got paid a lot for this one gig because his audience is so niche be it on the content side or on the company side I think that just looking at the ones that like maybe people are just kind of overlooking and probably the reason why I can't even mention it is because I've overlooked it so (laughs) there you go Rachel where can people find out more about you and more about hashtag communications few different things depends on what you like what you're in the mood for so if you want to sort of see me in my natural state kind of like no makeup freaking out sometimes one's bad because I talk about the good the bad the ugly on my Instagram uh, those are on my Instagram stories so if you want like the day-to-day it's almost like a vlog that is Rachel last name's David R-A-C-H-E-L and David like the guy's name easy so my Instagram and in my link tree everything is there that's like basically my bio so if you want to listen to the podcast if you want to also sign up for the email list like basically with the email list now it's just me sending the most highest level content so because I'm not necessarily going to put like a keynote that I've done where people have spent like you know a thousand dollars to go to it I'm not necessarily putting that on Instagram or on LinkedIn because it's a too long and you know but I could give that to my email list so uh, there's things like that there's best practices guides there's discounts to events and products and all this stuff so I highly recommend it's totally free and I'm not like being like oh yeah I want to build up my email list and then sell you a bunch of stuff no literally I just want to keep in touch because I really believe that one day we're not going to be able to and even if you like a person's content and you've even got the bell notifications on you still might not be able to keep in touch so that's really for us to keep in touch and uh and so if you want and, and you're interested in more like marketing content and sort of digital media stuff, I highly recommend. It's really easy. It's just go to my Instagram bio. There's a link there and you can just put in your name, your email, and then we're going to be connected. And then obviously LinkedIn. If you're a LinkedIn person, that's pretty easy. Just Rachel David. Well, I encourage everyone to check out your stuff, Thank particularly you. on LinkedIn and, and the stuff you're doing on YouTube and Instagram and everywhere else. And if you need help with influencer campaigns, hit up Rachel. She knows everybody and she's mm. the best, especially in Toronto and the Canadian market. You're so sweet. Yeah. So thank you so much for taking the time while you're here in LA yeah. amidst a busy trip to hang out and share a little bit more about your story and the entrepreneurial lessons learned along the way. And thank you for listening to me. Oh, wow. Thank you for listening to me. Of course, I ruin it like the last second. Thank you for listening to me and giving me your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another episode of All Things Video. If you have any questions or suggestions for future content, please send us an email at allthingsvideopodcast at gmail.com. And if you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes.